Beyond the headlines and deeper than the news cycle, this is Cricket Inside the Story with Knuckle Pandey. In 2015, Scotland's men's spinner Majid Huck, then his country's all-time leading wicket-taker, was left out of the playing eleven for an ODI World Cup game against Sri Lanka. He tweeted his concerns that his exclusion was racially motivated, and Cricket Scotland took this as sufficient reason to send him home from the tournament. The cricket media took the board side, and Mudgett never played for Scotland again. Nearly seven years later, a Cricket Scotland coming around to the view that he and others who've alleged racist discrimination might have had a point? Kasim Sheikh, himself a Scottish international, last year raised allegations of abuse and discrimination that he suffered during his playing days that prompted Cricket Scotland to launch an independent inquiry with seemingly none of the feet-dragging and excuse-making of their counterparts south of the border that we covered in episode one. It's to talk about his experiences, the inquiry, and what might come of it that Kasim joins me on Cricket Inside the Story. Kasim, welcome and thank you for your time. Hi Narko, yeah, good to be on with you, mate. Let's go back to 2015, and this is probably the first point that you and, and others have raised that people will be aware of. So Majid, Majid Haq, a, a very successful Scottish international cricketer, was sent home, and I, I was reading the, the BBC's reporting on it at the time, and the article lists it among other indiscretions that uh, happened at World Cups, including Shane Warne failing a drugs test, including... Andrew Flintoff's pedalo incident in St. Lucia in 2007. And Vic Marks says, I guess the authorities were left with no real option once he delivered his tweet. It was deleted fairly quickly, but they had to take pretty severe action, and they did. There's a real clubbing together of the, of the Scottish media and a very clear reaction that Majid Huck was in the wrong. Is that the sort of thing we're talking about when we're talking about institutional racism in Scottish cricket. 2015 doesn't seem that long ago when the, the, the tweet came out from Majid. I actually actively posted about it that evening. So it's something that, you know, I had feelings towards myself. Also, just before I go into that, I've also spoke about my own experience of when I, I spoke out so I could relate to what was, what was happening and what was going to be happening which is that very stringent action was taken to tell a player to pack his bags, get on a plane from the other side of the world, fly straight back to Glasgow and not be met by anybody from the organisation. So I do think that highlights some concerns. Whether that completely highlights that they're institutionally racist, I guess all I can compare that with is the fact that there has been incidents with other players who have spoken out who are from white backgrounds and the action taken was very different to what took place with, with Majid and myself when I spoke out about what I felt was unfairness towards a coach at the time. So it just doesn't weigh up very well. And there's other instances of British South Asian players that have played in the national team that I look back at over the years and I just don't think it sounds very fair comparing that to the opportunities some white counterparts have had. People will have become very familiar with the testimony that Azim Rafiq put forward in front of the DCMS committee in the English Parliament 
about the experiences that he faced as a South Asian cricketer in Yorkshire. What sort of environment does a, a South Asian cricketer and indeed a, a person of colour face in Scotland? I think a lot of us, certainly on the political left in England, have an idea that Scotland might be doing a bit better than in England. Is that fair? What sort of environment did you face as a cricketer coming up through the system in Scotland? Well, when I spoke at Sky Sports News recently about it, I did say I didn't think it was ext- as ex- extreme as uh, the experiences that uh, as even spoke about in Parliament. The terms elephant washers, these kind of things were not branded around. I know of some players who have heard the word Paki used in the national team. I didn't hear the name used directly towards me or in, or in a situation like that. However, the term you lot was branded around quite a lot. And, you know, at the time, you maybe don't really look into it that much. I can relate to some of the things Azim said, that he probably, you just feel that that's what you're part of and, you know, that's just normal. But when you look back and you're playing for your national team and to be called you lot, it's not very inclusive. It, it kind of um, implies that you're different to us, you know, and clearly the only difference, you can tell by my accent, Glasgow, born and bred, I'm very much Scottish, but it's, it's just the colour of skin. So these are the kind of things I look back at. I look at just some of the selections, some of the way things took place, some of the way certain players were treated. And when I actually study it and look into it in depth, I've noticed that it's been quite unfair for quite a number of years, especially towards players from a South Asian background. Has that changed in, in any way? Because there is a sense that Cricket Scotland have dealt with this a little bit more head-on and in a, in a more upfront way. And perhaps this is because it came in a post-Azim Rafiq world. I look at the current Scottish team, the, the team that went to the most recent T20 World Cup, Sefian Sharif and, and Hamza Tahir. Are you aware of how they have felt that they have been treated and how they have been viewed as players within the team environment? So first of all, yes, you're actually, just to go back to your, your last point, Nako, the, the point about Scottish cricket dealing with it better so far. Absolutely. I mean, let's be honest, let's not be around the bush. Yorkshire were a car, it was, it was a car crash from day one and it was clearly a cover-up job and trying to do all the dirty tactics to try to brush this under the carpet. Cricket Scotland have not done that. You know, we chatted a little bit already as well about Sue, Sue Strachan and the fact that she's been quite forward thinking and spoke quite well about the subject and the fact that she wants to inflict change. So yeah, I just wanted to highlight that, that there has been positive steps so far. It's, it's, it's just a matter of what happens next. But back to your question about Hamza and Sapian. Look, I can't speak for Hamza and Sapian personally. I've not been around the changing room with them because you know we're from a different generation. But in regards to my opinion on it, it's just what I would look at the way they've been treated at World Cups already. Now, if you look at the World Cup, I'm sure you were following it closely. You know, Hamza Tahir didn't play till the last match against Pakistan, and that came from quite a lot of persuasion from people online, etc., that were starting to challenge why that selection had not been made. He very clearly portrayed that he was very equipped at that level. He came into bowl, opened the bowling as a left-arm spinner against Pakistan and held his own very, very well. He even got the wicket of Mohammad Rizwan, who was in fantastic form. And then I look at Safian, who was successful in this World Cup, and it was great to see. But in the 2015 World Cup, the World Cup that Majid was going to get left out of the last game, and the reason being to bring in a youngster to give them a chance, Safian was the only other player not to get a game in what was a seven or eight game tournament that Scotland lost every single game. 
does that not raise some questions? Does that not make you just think to yourself, mm, just doesn't sit right, doesn't sit right. And then if I look previous to that, there's other players. Omar Hussein, younger cousin of Majid Haq, was selected to go to the 2007 World Cup and didn't even manage to get on the plane. They changed the squad before he got on the plane. So it's more that area I would look at with Hamza and Safian, but that's just my opinion. They may feel differently. You first started speaking up nearly a decade ago. Now, what is it that made you feel that now you would be you would be listened to and that your concerns would be taken more seriously? Because this is this is taken on greater weight. This is taken on greater significance. And you've been able to get more people listening to what you had to say. What was it that made you feel that now would be a good and appropriate time to tell your story again? Listen, that's a, that's a straightforward answer. I mean, that is the battle that young Azim Rafiq has taken solely as a young man on his own who decided to take a stance against a very powerful institution. You know, I've known of Azim for many, many years. I hadn't rubbed shoulders with him so much from a playing perspective, but I've been following and been in touch with him since pretty much the start of this journey, which was a couple of years ago now. If you, you know, time flies, he's been battling this for a long time. And I guess through the course of that, you can relate to things and things start coming up in your mind and you remember, you know, pains that, that you had. And I guess there was no better time to speak about the unfairness that myself and Majid faced along the way. Look, there's a lot of other people behind the scenes whose stories haven't been heard yet who also have their experiences. So, you know, it was, it was time to be equally brave like Azim has been and... It's a duty as well if you know that there's been injustice happening. But you're right. If Qasim Sheikh or Majid Haq, maybe Majid Haq actually is a bigger name than me, but if Qasim Sheikh turned around tomorrow and said, I want to tell my story about what I feel was unfairness when I was coming through the setup, I don't think it would have had the exposure it's, it's had and the, and the way that things have snowballed very quickly at Cricket Scotland. That was all down to the fight and the bravery of, of Azim Rafiq. And that's where those who are trying to personally attack him, etc. I think they need to kind of think about this a little bit more that there's more to it he's accepted his faults but he ultimately wants to to drive change and, and that's that should only be encouraged rather than you know push push back on sadly i don't think it is too cynical to say that a number of the people personally attacking azim rafiq may be very well aware of the bigger implications and that might be a factor of why they're personally attacking him but this is true as well but we'll this is true we'll move on to the specifics of what we're talking about just talk about that, that response. When you first started talking about your experiences a decade ago now, what response, if any, did you get from Cricket Scotland? And what response did you get now? Did they get in contact with you? Did you get in contact with them this time around to spark this inquiry that's about to start? The treatment when back in 2010, you know, it was around, that, like you say, a decade ago. There was conversations between myself and a coach leading up to me speaking out. And the, the kind of response I was was getting was just, Basically, door was closed and there was no light at the end of the, the tunnel. And when I did speak out, what did I get from that? Nobody spoke to me for about the next seven, maybe eight years. When I say nobody spoke to me, if I seen somebody in person, somebody who I'd known from the past, we would have a conversation and whatnot. But that aside, you know, I was not involved in anything to do with Cricket Scotland. It was just... Quite a quite a sad period of time. I probably suffered quite badly with my 
with my mental health during that period of time felt felt always that there was a lot of unfinished business and it was just it was just a tough it's a, it's a tough place to be so initially absolutely nothing no response whatsoever nobody ever reached out to me to you know even maybe try and put an arm around the shoulder and just say look we can try and talk this over and, and make things better it was just completely gone gone overnight to the point that I questioned myself quite a lot over the years shouldn't have done that I've even put out stuff publicly before and said, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done it that way. Shouldn't have spoke out publicly. I'm sorry about that. And I am because I never wanted to publicly call out somebody or, or say personal things about them. But that was the experience I had then. This time, not much dissimilar. The only person from Cricket Scotland that I've had any engagement with has been Sue Strachan. That aside, have you heard many voices other than Sue's from Cricket Scotland? I've certainly not. It's been quite quiet again. I wouldn't say there's been much engagement at all. Sue Strachan, the president of Cricket Scotland. I did reach out to Sue Strachan for a response and indeed invited her to be on this show. She did not respond to that. And I have, you're right, heard little from Cricket Scotland beyond the announcement of the inquiry. They, the Cricket Scotland blog and news section of the website is one of the better, more updated ones certainly in the associate cricket world and possibly in all of international cricket. They're very proactive. I've read nothing there. We come to the inquiry. What You've mentioned some of the specific cases of, of racist slurs used against you and against other players. You lot, the P word, which as a non-Pakistani person, I'm very uncomfortable saying, so won't. I can understand that. I can understand that. What specifically are the terms of reference of this? Well, how did the inquiry start? So is Sue Strachan driving this? Of her own bat? Is this, is this something that she's been able to push through the rest of the board? How does it go from you speaking out to Cricket Scotland launching an inquiry? I think Sports Scotland have played a big part in that. It's Sports Scotland to have instigated the, the investigation. So I think it, it, it went above and beyond Cricket Scotland before Cricket Scotland could react to it. And Sports Scotland are going to be governing it, overlooking it. And they'll be the ones that hold Cricket Scotland accountable, I'd imagine, with what comes out of the inquiry. But yes, in regards to Sue, I think this just landed on Sue's doorstep, just like it did on Cricket Scotland's. I think Sue has been a little bit more proactive than the rest when it comes to she has dealt with media. She has, I think, been fair and honest, and she's not tried to imply anything otherwise uh, she's just trying to say that we, we need to make the changes needed to get better I think that's all I can say on that Nako it's, a, it's there's not any specific I think the speaking out of myself and Magic it just snowballed from there and then Sports Scotland have governed the investigation there's a section from the press release that Sports Scotland put out where Sue Strachan says that Cricket Scotland are grateful to Sports Scotland for commissioning this wide-ranging independent review. The terms of reference was supposed to be published within seven days of that release coming out, which is on the 8th of December. I don't know that that has actually happened yet. Uh, so that is something to keep an eye on. As we discussed with Ferdos Mundo when we were discussing the social justice and nation building hearings, there are very legitimate reasons why these things can be delayed, but it's important that those actions are seen to be legitimate. But what what specific allegations is the is the inquiry looking into and how, frankly, how well-funded and what actual power does it have to make sure that it can answer this question properly? 
You're asking me something that I don't. Uh, this is my first rodeo, as they as they say. So, in regards to what my knowledge and expectations are of what the investigation will look into, it is pretty much from grassroots all the way up to national team level. All the smaller governing bodies who look after the different leagues and different regions. I think everything will be getting looked at, and I welcome that because it has to be a change throughout. It's not just a matter of chopping and changing a few people at boardroom level, although I think that's got to be uh, a big thing that does does happen. That, that, that It needs to be diverse throughout, and I think that will be highlighted that they're very much not at the moment. So that will be what I expect to happen, just a, a, a really good look at everything under the car bonnet, as they say, and find out what's what. And will you be... You will be speaking before this inquiry, presumably if asked, I suppose. It would be bizarre if you weren't, but presumably you will be giving your evidence to this inquiry. If and when I am asked, yes, I will engage with the investigation. At this stage, I have not been asked yet, but it's very early stages. I know there's there's just been one initial initial meeting at the moment just to kind of get the ball rolling. Obviously, it was Christmas and New Year. You can't expect people to do much over that period of time, but I would like to think now there'll be a lot more happening over the next couple of weeks. What we have seen, we're in the very, very early stages, as we record on the 12th of January of this inquiry, what we have seen is that Cricket Scotland launched an an equality action plan in mid-November, just over two months ago. It is a 16-page document signed off by Cricket Scotland, I don't know to what extent you have had a chance to really examine this document, but these plans that have uh, that have come out, it, it seems fairly robust and it seems to indicate an awareness of what has not been done and what needs to be done. But it is very much focused on pathways and is very much focused on talent development. There isn't a great deal in it about discrimination it, itself and about changing attitudes in that sense. Do you feel that these processes that are going to be put in place or these processes that are in place and haven't yet been followed, which might be another spur to launching this document, do you think that they are sufficient, fit for purpose? So you're right, I haven't read the full 16 pages in full full detail. I'll be honest, it's not one of my skill sets. However, I'm speaking with some people who it is their skill set and we feel it's it's very underwhelming. I think you're right. It doesn't have enough meat on the bone. I would use that term. I think there's a lot more that needs to be done to it. I think, if I'm being honest, that was a knee-jerk reaction to have when you know the situation came up. I believe it was in the works to do something. It just happened to speed up. So I think that was done in a move to make things look a little bit better on the outside. But I think in time, that whole plan will need to be rejigged, I think. To sum this up, I suppose, it doesn't mention the words racism, racist, or discrimination once in its 16 pages. It needs to have more acknowledgement of discrimination and racism. And I'm not just talking about race, I'm talking about gender as well. I'm talking about any form of discrimination that is taking place. So I think there'll be a lot of work to be done to that. I can't really comment at this stage and say exactly what that will be, but I'm obviously hoping that we will become, as a cricketing nation, become a lot more diverse from 
the grassroots, all the way to the pathways and elite level. But yeah, you're right. This should not just be focused on the pathways and, and elite level. There has to be attention given to grassroots as well, because I actually think there's going to be a lot more issues that come out from the grassroots than there is, because there's only a certain, a very small percentage, I think, compared to what it should be of South Asians that make it to national team level. I think I worked out that maybe 10 or 11 in the last 20 to 25 years or so, not many more either way plus to that or, or back. It seems a, a little bit low. If you came to Scotland, you'd be surprised, Nako, how many British South Asians play cricket here. I was going to come on to that. We're very familiar with the statistics now in England. Yep. Partly thanks to Azim Rafiq's fight, 30% of recreational players in England and Wales are South Asian and a vanishingly small number at elite level. What are those statistics like in Scotland? You say that the club and recreational game is very well, South Asians are very well represented at that level, but that doesn't flow all the way up. No, it doesn't. Simple as that. You come to high percentage of cricket grounds, especially in the west of Scotland, where I'm from, Glasgow, you're going to have five, six, at least Asian players in every single team. You, you'll get the odd team that's maybe, you know, an all-white team, but not for any, not, I'm not saying for, some, some clubs are further out, the Asians tend to all stay around one type of area, but there's so many playing, so many playing Asians. And I could... What I think is very interesting, I did a podcast with Tom and Adam Kelly, who were part of the, they provided this specific research that Azim was able to present in Parliament. And their findings, when I think about it and put that into to Scotland to, to think about it in those terms, it makes you think that the elite players, to, to play like the Majid Haks, the Safian Sharif, these guys will make it to the national team. But it's, I look at a lot of the white counterparts in talent and I look at the similar level of player as an Asian player, they're not got a chance. The numbers reflect that if you look at it from the last 25 years or so. And I guess that's something that we want to see change, just want equal opportunity. So yeah, I kind of go off subject to think a little bit again there, but again, just making what I feel is an important point. It is very much on subject because we're looking at this holistically and we have to look at where we are in large part, particularly because the inquiry has not yet started. The two podcasts that I've done have been with Tom Brown and Thomas Fletcher, two academics whose work very heavily informed Azim Rafiq's case, and with Prudos Munda about the social justice and nation building hearings in South Africa. And that was very much further advanced in the process. We were able to look at responses. We were able to look at what official responses had been made. We're not in that position. And without wishing to be in any way disrespectful most of my listeners will not be as aware of what is happening yeah, in scotland course, as they would be of what is happening at yorkshire and as what had been happening in in south africa on that point what i do know about scottish cricket obviously it's in a very different position to a full member nation the club game is as i understand it the bedrock of cricket in scotland even if you are at the very top level what sort of environment could a south asian cricketer walk into a good level club in scotland and expect to find well, just on that as well, there's a regional setup in Scotland just for a bit of education for the listeners. Um, there's a three-team regional that covers three different parts of Scotland and the better players that are successful in club cricket go into there. And I think the whole point behind it is that's where they try to pick 
your kind of national team from. But we've also got obviously a lot of players that are down playing in the county game as well. So a lot are, are selected from there. But yeah, back to the question of club cricket. It's very divided. It really is very divided. Not at all clubs. Some clubs are doing it, you know, are, are more diverse than others. But I took from my experience through the years, you do get a situation now where a lot of Asian guys will, will make their own team. And you'll have the more successful clubs will maybe have some Asian players that have come through their system, probably more homegrown players that have come maybe through, I think of a Clydesdale cricket club, they have a Hutchison Grammar School right next to it, private school. So they feed a lot of kids come in from there, a lot of, a lot of Asians and children come through there. But yeah, there is a divide, I think. And when some Asians go into, a, let's say, a white-dominated change room, I've heard you know, situations just like um, if two Asian guys are talking their own language at the site, they often get targeted to speak the language. And I've seen it be quite aggressive sometimes, actually quite a lot of the time. There was even an incident where I was playing in a club match where there was a guy who really didn't have good English. You couldn't really communicate with him that well. I speak Urdu. I chatted some words to him, and somebody from the boundary line, a spectator, shouted on the pitch, speak English. I look at these type of situations, and I think, well, there's not a law in this country that you have to speak. I think where it's highlighted and it's rude is if you have a couple of white counterparts, teammates, who are in a group of, say, eight, nine Asian players, and they're all talking the language and they don't understand, I think that isn't fair either. And I've actually had some white friends that have raised that to me, that, you know, sometimes that is a little bit uncomfortable. I would say it's more just a divide. I think there's a big issue there. There's a divide overall between the South Asian community and the Scottish community, and I think it could be better moving forward for everybody. It seems like it's in a very different position. Azim spoke very much about that the issue was not at the recreation level, far more at the elite level. And I suppose it makes sense in a very different sporting environment, in a very different cricketing environment, that the attention might need to be drawn elsewhere. But moving, again, more to the representative level, to the three regional teams and Cricket Scotland above them, you've spoken very glowingly of Sue Strachan, who I know you've appeared with. It strikes me that it's probably not a great situation when the right thing being done is very much dependent on the person in charge happening to be a good person. Do you think that those processes are in place? And do you think that that will and that ability to do so is in place for these changes to survive the tenure of Sue Strachan in this case, but of any office holder who may not be in office for all that long? Very good point. Very good question. You can't rely on one person, can you, to inflict this kind of change? And do I feel the processes are in place? No, I don't feel the processes are in place throughout the system. And that's why I think there needs to be an investigation. Yes, there needs to be a change of attitude. And when that change of attitude happens and more people are aligned in the same direction and moving forward in a positive manner, then you don't just need to rely on a Sue Strachan. But it does help that I think Sue Strachan is a good person. And I think it's important to have somebody who's leading it that is the right person for that. I mean, you've probably seen recently, I don't know if you've heard, the chief executive was under investigation himself for you know, bullying culture and misogyny, which kind of came out in the midst of this racism scandal as well. So, you know, changes, I think, are already being pushed there. Um, and I think you're right. It needs to, processes need to be better. And at the moment, no, I don't think they're sufficient. Do you think that the will is in place 
to act on whatever recommendations the Sports Scotland inquiry brings out. Do you, well, in fact, let's ask this question in two parts. What recommendations would you like to see from the inquiry? And do you think there is the will in place for those recommendations to be acted on? In regards to the will first, I don't know. And if I'm being honest, I've only heard one voice so far. I think everybody's just wanted to sit, wait, and I think there's a lot of denial that's probably in place at the moment. Otherwise, I would have liked to have seen more support. There's not been any players. Only one player, Abtahamik Saud, from the, the women's team, has vocally spoken on the subject, not another current player at all. So that's been disappointing. At Cricket Scotland, it's only been Sue that's uh, spoken. So at the moment, do I know if there's a will because of some statements that have come out? No, I don't. Can't answer that question. I guess we'll need to look at the actions. And what do I want to see come out of it? I would like to see diversity from grassroots all the way up to board level and everything in between. I would like to see just more representation from minorities, especially for people from South Asian backgrounds as well, because they, they take up such a high percentage of the, the amount of cricketers that play in Scotland. And I think only then, now that I understand institutional racism a lot better, how it works, it's not down to somebody using racial slurs every other day or one or two people. It's an institution that's just formed on certain grounds that it's always, even subtly or without being... I think a lot of people right now in the denial are thinking, well, I've never been racist towards anybody, but they don't realise how the institution has been towards that. So I would like to see that have representation from grassroots up until national team level. And I think that would be the biggest positive that could come out of all of this. And if done in the right way, I think it could have a positive outcome for everybody. Again, in two parts. One, how are you through all of this? And two, what are you doing moving forward to try and out with this investigation? What support structures do you have in place? And what would you say to anybody else who feels like now's the right time to come forward? I think my situation and Majid's situation and the likes of Azim's situation is very different from other people who are going to be willing to come forward to tell their story and share it with the investigation, which we've been promised will be with full anonymity and completely a safe space. Obviously, when you speak out, NACO, and you're in the public domain, people are going to have opinions. Some responses I've had have been not so nice, and there's also been a lot of support as well. It's a weird one. You get it's a lot of emotions that come out, a lot of bad, a lot of kind of some bad memories that you've lived through already. Kind of tried to get on with your life. So it's yeah, it's, it's a lot to kind of process and and and, and it, nothing compared to what Azim went through. I mean, you know, looking at, at what he went through now, it's just it's, it's it's beyond belief that somebody could put somebody through that in the first place. And I, I don't feel at this stage. In this current situation, in the past, yes, but in this current situation, I don't think anybody from the organisation is, we want to give them the opportunity to do the right things. And if that happens, then I hope it can have a positive outcome, because I certainly don't want to be cast into the wilderness for the next 10, 20 years and be seen as a, you know, as this terrible monster who's opened the door on some can of worms that's, I think, been there for a long time. And I certainly don't want that to happen to my friend Majid either, because I know how badly he's suffered over these last five or six years. And I feel sad that people have kind of a hate and resent towards him because 
they maybe don't realise what they don't understand. If you don't have never experienced racism or discrimination, you just don't understand what it can actually what it can feel like. And for somebody to have the situation that's happened with him over a tweet that wasn't a crime or a jail sentence, that can't happen again and that can't happen to anybody else. The suffering of what Azim has went through with speaking out, what you know, Majid has went through and speaking out in the past. What myself has gone through, I don't think that's important that th these things don't happen to people. Then. And I think that's why people are scared and are always uncomfortable to come forward. I've had a lot of parents that have actually contacted me and they want to speak about what injustice has happened, but they're scared because they don't want to jeopardise their child's chances. I think that's another big point. You can't just sit and expect people to come forward. I think the investigation and what I'll be encouraging certainly is that they go out and seek the answers they require. In regards to how I am going to, I'm open to helping anybody that wants to be helped, NACO, or get involved in any way or shape or form that I can help it. If Plan for Sport, that are doing the investigation, need help from me, want to speak to me about something, happy to speak to them. If Cricket Scotland want to reach out and speak to me, then I'm happy to speak to them. Sports Scotland and anybody who's feeling nervous about sharing or, or speaking out, I'm happy to speak to them as well. And moving forward, I just want to see a positive outcome. I don't want to see the next generation. I don't want to hear of stories of the likes of the ones that we're aware of now coming out in future. I just want to hear that it's a more inclusive and a better environment all around. There is a group running out racism, a group aimed at eradicating and tackling racism in Scottish cricket. Are you involved with them? Have they been in contact with you? And how much can you speak to the work that they do? I'm glad you mentioned that, Nako. Run out racism. Yes, I am part of the campaign and you know what? They're unbelievable what has been achieved in a short period of time with that campaign, the amount of people that have come forward and really good people as well with really good intentions and really knowledgeable. Everybody has a different skill set in the campaign and they're all, they're all bringing it forward to help. You know, they're pretty much there to help Cricket Scotland through this. That's what the intention behind it all is and come out the other end of this in a good way. And so far, what they've, what they've done is remarkable. They were involved in the initial meeting with Plan for Sport, which they tweeted out about. So that kind of shows you the power of what they've created there. I'm very much proud to be part of it and supporting where I can. You've been listening to Cricket Inside the Story. It was presented, produced and edited by me, Knuckle Pandey. My guest was Kasim Sheikh, anti-racism campaigner and former Scotland men's international. If you've got a story to tell about racism in Scottish cricket, or a skill that can help others tell theirs, Running Out Racism can be reached via info at runningoutracism.org. The music is by Broke for Free and is available from the Free Music Archive. You can find more information in the show notes. You can get in touch at cricketinsidethestory at gmail.com or at crickinsidestory on Twitter. If you like the show, give it a five-star rating and review, share and subscribe so I can make more.